0: Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone, whoever's listening to our fifth episode of Candid Career Convos podcast with... Jessica Richardson. And Andy Bowden. Today, we are calling this part two from last week's podcast around ATS and various myths. And this focus is going to be more on setting a job hunter's expectations in their job search applying, and what it means to be an Atlas to Atlas candidate Jessica's term, which is a great one and things like that. Uh, so uh, Jessica, what's what say you in terms of uh, this topic to get us kicked off?
1: Well, you know, we talked last week a little bit. We bounced around about the different things that you see with applicant tracking systems and the types of resumes and, and all of that good, good stuff. But one of the things we mentioned was you shouldn't apply unless you're qualified. And I think that it's really worth kind of delving into what it means to be qualified. So in in setting your expectations for that job search, it's less about whether you have an applicant tracking system friendly resume, and more about are you an applicant tracking system friendly candidate, which is that apples to apples. So when you look at people who are applying and the ones that get the get the nod for the interview, Typically, you're looking at candidates that are are from similar or same industries. So, yeah, you have people from energy who might be hopping into oil and gas or from professional services who might be going into legal services or something like that. But you don't usually see somebody from publishing going into tech unless there's some kind of tech component there or oil and gas going into a wholly different field a lot of times they want to kind of recruit within same or similar fields and then also things like the required years of experience if they have a years of experience that's important the type of experience that's important. If it's listed, it's important. Now, whether you agree that if it, that it's important is, is irrelevant, because you have to look at whether you're qualified from their perspective, not yours. So you can read and you can read all the way down and you can say, hey, I match everything on this, but I have no global experience and they want a global candidate. And I am in, I've been in publishing and this is oil and gas. They're probably not going to call you in if they have the option of people who have had similar experiences and similar backgrounds. So it's not just reading qualification and knowing you can do the job. It's also having that that similarity and profile to somebody that they have that has done that job before, or that they are hiring for that has those similarities in industry and experiences. Yeah, and and uh,
0: I think of it also as. Uh, based on some job hunts I had to, had to do in my past is then, you know, how do I know I'm qualified or how do I show I'm qualified, right? You both, you and I have said in different forms, I call it three reasons why someone gets rejected. One, they're not qualified, period. Right. Two, they don't show it very well, if at all, on their resume. And three, you apply too late. And we've covered the number one and number three, pretty good in the past. Mm -hmm. It's number two, I think, that this episode, you know, can focus on and help job hunters understand and and also not waste their time because, like, we've talked about knockout questions. And if you're going to say no to any of those, you might as well just stop and not apply, which is hard to say and and tell people, but it it really is the case. Because I know on the other side in, in hiring manager roles, I look at, I mentioned to you off camera, uh, someone seeing that they, not a recruiter, seeing on LinkedIn recruiter getting access to it, looking at 500 resumes in the last week, sees 90 plus percent that aren't qualified, and it gets down to what we talked about. And I think it's it's back to I I use the term have used the term not ATS friendly resumes, but job description friendly resume. Maybe that's semantics, and I and I know we're going to get into that because I think that's what's key is understanding a job hunter needs to get in the mind. That, if I were the hiring manager, how would I perceive my resume? Right. Absolutely. And I, I, I rarely hear anybody think that way. They're just like, and I know part of it is I need a job. I need a job quick. I just need to apply to as many. It's, they think it's a numbers game. And is it a numbers game? It can be. But if you're happy with a 2 to 3% response rate, because yours truly has done that in a very early job search, it's just, again, a waste of time when I look back on it. So uh, it's definitely behooves someone to understand that ATS-friendly candidate, which I want to hear more from you on getting a little bit deeper into that theme.
1: Absolutely. And to give you a couple of examples of, of why it's important to be the ATS-friendly candidate or the apples-to-apples apples candidate, when going through an applicant tracking system, this does not include when you start building relationships and networking and these things that we will address in, in further episodes, all bets are off. You know, the, the, the door opens a whole lot broader um, in those cases. We are talking about simply applying through an applicant tracking system without having any relationships within the company. These are cold apply things, which is also why they have small conversions in many cases, because unless it's a high demand um, skill set, it's almost like just cold calling a company or a client or any. If you've ever done anything where there's cold calling or heard about it, it's, it's kind of a thankless process. And there's a reason for that. When I was writing resumes for the larger population, I can tell you what I saw. We would ask for people's ideal job that they want to work with. Eight out of 10 of them sent me something with AWS or Facebook or some thing company uh, typically AWS or Facebook um, doesn't matter if they were a developer or if they were marketing or whatever it was, if we said ideal role, all of a sudden AWS came, came shooting across the way. And I worked with somebody specifically who had been applying to AWS, applying to AWS. This person was in energy was in uh, the energy funnel. So he did a lot of the, uh, he was a marketer, energy marketer. Well, he, Wasn't getting any traction because his background didn't match what they're looking for that at all. Now, he was highly he could go in to do sales or uh, tech sales or he could go in to do a lot of, of the consultative things. But that didn't apply to his background at all. And yes, we can pull transferable skills, but collaboration and consultation really aren't transferable skills. Those are minimum qualifications for those type of roles. So you want to, to be able to show transferability with the higher levels of qualifications for those roles, not the minimum levels. That sometimes involves either building these relationships to show it so you can find the person to give you the chance or extra certifications or training or whatever that is to get you uh, up to speed to where you can be considered and put that in a, in a resume.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think when when one reads a job description and they really need to zero in on the, those requirements and and more tech companies. I don't know about others. I see job descriptions and I've written job descriptions uh, in both ways. But one is just a, a list, a laundry list of requirements. Some of those are going to be more important than others. Yes. That a job hunter guesses is going to have to guess to some degree. But it's going to be experience, like you said, experience, you know, a degree or not, or one of the other, depends on the role, depends on the industry. You know, there's a big thing about, do you really need a degree if you've got experience? That's another topic. But, you know, whatever the requirement is, I see a lot of folks not focusing on, like, some of the key things. And the better job descriptions are written where there's the basic minimum qualifications and then preferred. So that I think my takeaway has been me if i'm wrong or you think differently hundred you need to meet hundred percent of the minimum requirement and and so like what i i've been i do and i coach others to do is no more than three four tops of basic requirements and then a list of preferred requirements and probably you know it could be a, a several but maybe I, i'd stop at like eight or ten uh, no more than that but i mean those are wish lists ultimately and i guess depends on the market and the industry is meet 100% of minimum requirements, and a large majority of preferred requirements. And, and to me, that's that's how I interpret what you say of how do I show that I'm an apple-sapple candidate, that I know that my resume, that a recruiter, before they say, oh, I want to phone screen this person, that they can tick the boxes. Yes, this person meets 100% of my minimum, and a good majority, at least enough that I want to call that person and do a phone screen, which then becomes, okay, you're beyond the machine. so. Would you agree with that? Is there something else me and others should be thinking about? Well, I
1: think I think, you know, I agree with what you're saying as far as the 100 percent in examples where you have you're applying to Amazon or you're applying to paying companies and, and those that have government contracts because a lot yeah. of times they have no leeway on that they actually have to meet the 100 percent to be able to get the
0: call. True and I, become, I definitely with, come from a tech background, right? So that's my but I you know you've seen mm-hmm. a lot of others.
1: Right. And when you when you deal with a small to medium business that can be a lot more flexible. You know anything that's not publicly traded that doesn't have government Yeah. Interactions, those kind of things. I would say that could be, be more flexible. And I would say the flexibility comes in things like years of experience, because if you are, if you have all but a couple of the years of experience, but you have the level of experience they need and you have can justify, hey, this is why I'm at the mid senior level, or this is why I'm at the level two level or whatever it is, despite the years of experience, because a lot of times that might be an equivalency, like you got a master's degree, or you know, there's a lot of times where people work with a company like Google or Facebook or blah, blah, blah for two years. And then the experience they gain in that time, they're able to leverage to move into a smaller company for more money right? <laughs> because oh, they yes. have that, that background. So it depends on the level and competitiveness of your experience as to where you would have to meet a hundred percent, but I would say a cool 70 at the very minimum on, yeah. on ones where that's, where that's given, and, give and take, but the more you can meet the better. That's going to be your best bet. So if you if you only meet 70 and you think it could be a situation where a lot of people could meet, you know, 80, 90, 100% of the requirements, then you need to be looking at alternate methods in addition to applying through an applicant tracking system.
0: Right. No, I definitely agree with that. Networking is very key. So are you ready to talk about, uh, you know, things like the rejection comes seconds after you've applied? Sure.
1: Yeah. So what happens when you do apply? And like you hear this, well, how did anybody see my application? There's no way because I applied in 45 seconds after I applied, I got a rejection. So obviously it was bot. Obviously it was bot. Right, Andy? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a bot. Um,
0: (laughs) My good friend Sherman the bot. I will call out my good friend Sherman. Uh, Yeah, no, you know, I I have, I, again, this, this article I wrote on LinkedIn a year and a half ago, but it still applies, but it it hit me in my last job search. Okay. I I had this mind shift of, okay, I, I used to be a hiring manager. I know what it's like on that side. Let me think like that which helped me move along tremendously. Mm -hmm. When I thought about that that candidate experience, the experience that, you know, even though the candidate might not might feel it, but it's, you know, the process of after they apply, what happened? And so a little bit of detail is, okay, right. One applies to a role, it goes in the ATS, the recruiter would look at it and then say, you know, two or three piles, it depends on what recruiter is, but maybe I just think of a yes pile. I want to keep thinking about this Mm -hmm. candidate or no. Mm -hmm. And once you go through a a large majority of those, you're at a point, and again, where I've been in my cases have been, we don't look at all the resumes. We get, again, say 500 resumes for application. By the time we look for the first and we look in the order we receive it, the first 100 to 150, we'll get a short list of 20 candidates. And then that's what the recruiter does—the phone screen. So that goes to that item number three I said earlier. You don't—you didn't apply fast enough because we already looked at you. Right. Now that's half of the companies. I don't know. Good, uh, most recruiters would tell me, yeah, that. Or we do a Boolean search and we look for, it, and that pulls those later applications into more of a potential we'll see. At some point, then, when the recruiter says, "Okay, we've got our short list and we're going to move on," and we think or don't need to look at those others, they're going to hit a button that would be a, a potentially an automated pre-written rejection email. We'll get into a little bit of a. it. doesn't. Should it be more personal? It would help. It would help to give a little bit more information and more personal. But so there's that first level of the company recruiter hiring manager perspective. Okay, I've called out X percentage of my candidates. So they're going to get a rejection email letter. Yes. And, and some of those, because they were so late in the process, they're going to get it oh, we already hit the first time and the ATS says, okay, anything received after that, we're going to send you a letter right away. That's Mm -hmm. where that comes from. But there's a recruiter that has kind of programmed that in. Mm -hmm. It's an automation. Then there's another level of, okay, we're going to phone screen. We start interviewing people. There's probably another cut line. Those candidates who didn't make the next couple rounds in, they get a response, a negative response. Okay. We're no longer... And then you get down to the finalist and then the decision. And at that point, hopefully, you're going to get a personal response from hiring manager or recruiter going, we've not selected you. We've gone with someone else. Yes. And so that's where I think part of all that process is. It's it, That's process. Some organizations take longer than others to get through that process, which is why some candidates get a response months later. Yeah. I think I got one two weeks ago for something I applied to 14 months ago. So, you know, it's just everyone has different speed.
1: Well, and sometimes it's just that it's done. The whole process is done. But recruiters are humans and you have to actually hit a button to close it out. And they go through and they think, oh, man, I am have not closed out any of these jobs. And they go through and they close it out. And they're a month later than they probably should be. But for them, it's just a process that they didn't do. It doesn't affect anything. That means that people get things like months later accident you know when yeah. they when they get the notification yeah um, the other thing is like when you apply recruiters are production they're their jobs they're producers it is a production role it is not a sit and think role they are pro- they produce candidates for the job and so they are constantly going through candidates and they also work odd hours in many cases and so you may see a recruiter very commonly working at 3 a.m in the morning going through candidate things. So you apply at 3 a.m., you get the rejection, if I can talk, at 3 a.m. because that's, you've got a recruiter that's up. They've put their kids to bed, they've done everything they need to do for the day, they're wide awake and they're sitting there going through applications.
0: Yeah, yeah, or uh, these days with no boundaries and internet, recruiters are in different locations and they're different time zones. So 3 a.m. to the U.S. is really 9 a.m. somewhere in Europe, for example. The other thing I think, the type of response, I guess how the whole recruit process is managed and the communication of that, to me, is key. And that's where I think we both have seen and continue to see really good experiences for candidates. And, and, and that meaning, even if you don't get selected, you've gotten a little bit more, not that a lot of feedback comes. And let me also preface what I said before. I come from a mostly corporate, big Fortune 500 background. Yeah. I have been in a few small companies. I know there is some other differences when you talk with external recruiters and they have some of their own things going on that might provide the experience that might be different, good or bad. Right. They have different needs in terms of of candidates. But I, I think that for me, it's, you know, yeah, how does how do these talent acquisition systems provide a better way to communicate, which again, to me, goes with recruiter slash hiring manager. I know at a time where I work very, I mean, I always worked closely with my in-house recruiters, but uh, there was one that was, just, I loved her and we, we just had that, we, we wrote together what we were going to send out to the non-successful candidates. Yes. And, it, and it was a more personal touch, which, which she said, I mean, she got great reviews and that was because it was really her responsibility. That's where I think we see Those issues as candidates, the black hole is because even the responses they get are lackluster. Yes. And canned, you know, they're
1: robotic. It's easy to think that the process is robot driven when half the responses you get (laughs) are robotic and devoid of any humanity whatsoever. How many ways can we say we've gone with a candidate that's more qualified and you know nobody's read your stuff, right? Because how could they say you're not qualified when you know you're qualified and you're a qualified candidate getting something that says we're going with somebody that's more qualified. Yeah. Well, it's not a robot. It is just unfortunately a very bad human process mm-hmm. or bad use of the technology by humans. And one could argue that is a sign like, is that
0: kind of the organization you want to work with? You know, that, that's, that shows that I have definitely kind of where I've been and where I am now and, and some other colleagues of mine where the culture change in some of these companies has been good and it brings up that whole talent acquisition process much better at, from a communication standpoint and it's I won't say it's completely personalized but it's more personalized than it was and that that's good so what would you say in terms of uh, what are some of the things that that candidates should be a, a better experience and what would mm-hmm. be? some of those telltale signs?
1: Well, first of all, to preface that, you cannot necessarily judge a company by its recruitment processes. You're talking true. about different divisions. If you ever worked in a company, you know one division can be awful, and the other can be okay, yep. and then one can be great, and the whole company is kind of fair to the middle. Yep. So yeah, <laughs> you true, cannot true, judge very it true. just by that. You just put that as a red flag until you get to a hiring manager. But if you want to see a company that's doing it right, there's some there's some green flags to look for, and you know those green flags. We always talk about the red flags. Let's talk yep. about green flags. What well, the things that just say, "Hey, this is this could be a great place and a great place to work." When you apply, you get a notification because every system. Any applicant system has the ability to do that. In fact, even if I'm running it through an email, I can do an auto response that says, thank you for emailing your application, even outside of an applicant tracking system. Every applicant tracking system has the ability to notify people that their application was received. So if you're throwing it in a black hole, you've got companies that have not set up their communication and you want to work with a company that has a good communication system in place. Because these are going to be the people that you work for, especially if you're applying through the company system. Um, these are the people that are go- you're going to be working with on compensation and bonuses and promotions. This is your HR recruitment team and your HR team. And you want an HR team that knows how to communicate. So that's very, very important from a, ta- from a talent acquisition standpoint. That's a big green flag. Yeah. Yeah. You get that, get that notification. Then when they go to the next step and they've selected applicants, the good ones will send you a notification that says we've selected the applicants to hire right now. You're not, in. you know, you're, you didn't make that, that barrier, but we wish you the best, you know, and and all they have to say is, We were not selected to move forward. We're sure you're great. And we hope you continue to apply. Here's some, go look at our opportunities. If there's somewhere that you think that you would fit, always engage, find ways to engage you with their their mission. That's the best that you could do. Then um, the best that they can do, the best way that they can use that system. Then once interviews are complete, They can let you know. They don't even have to call you directly because some people, they just don't call after the interview. Well, okay, so I think everybody that interviews should receive a call. But that said, they should at least send you a notification if you're not selected for round two. And that can be done through the system. So you're seeing a pattern here. I think everybody who interviews should receive a call. I think that is a minimum requirement that once you bring somebody into interview, they deserve the opportunity to hear that they were not selected to advance. That said, you can at least use your system to do so if you aren't going to call them directly. You can be having these conversations throughout, through your system, and it is one way, it is canned communication, it is uh, pre-developed communication, whatever you want to call it, but If it's not written robot. if it's written like a human being to another human being, then it's going to be received much better than these canned things. I remember on Twitter, there was a big, big uproar, I guess, if, if you want to call it that, because this candidate received. A, we saw. We're, we're sorry, but we've gone with somebody that's more qualified. And she said, "I met every single qualification. There may have been some other thing that you were looking for, as stated. Right. But don't tell me that I'm not qualified for this. So we need yeah. to stop telling candidates they aren't qualified because the odds are that there's going to be several qualified candidates that aren't getting moving forward in the process because we wanted something different or a different type of qualification." You can't insult people for applying to you because when they when they apply with you they're they're buying into your brand they're saying this is a brand i could want to work for and you actually damage your brand reputation if you do not manage these communications well all the way through and so a company that engages you with their mission they communicate at every stage you know where they are in the process This is the type of company you want to work for because typically their comp systems, if they communicate well, it's going to be across the board.
0: I will say as a, you know, in hiring manager roles, I'm going to be looking at it. It might come down to fit. If I have everything else being equal, there's an element of fit to working with others on the team. I think there's a level, again, from my point of view is, yeah, qualified on all those boxes, and I might have multiple people that do that. Then I'd have to make a decision. So who's going to fit best, and/or what kind of other upside potential do they have? So I know those are hard, if not impossible, for a job hunter to figure out how to crack that code. I'm just trying to give you that scoop about from a hiring manager perspective. Those are things that I know I look for. Is okay. Will this, if, if there's somebody, everything else being equal, they're really good. They've got, they show me something they can work better than the others, in my opinion, or mm-hmm. there's a potential, uh, uh, you know, there's just a few of those soft factors. I don't know what others are right now. That, I can, that, I can add know, to that. Deciding, but, but I've had <laughs> constructive debates with my TA folks on how do we, how do we, can we describe that at all? And, and it, right. I don't know that many, if any, have come up with that, but that, that's where I would say, yes, because I, I, I've been on that side, too. Like, wait a minute, I'm as qualified as anybody else. I right. open it. And yet I know there's something else, you know, that's not on there versus there's been some like in the marketing agency world. I know of like the- they're hiring, and then all of a sudden, like, but do you have HubSpot certifications? No, but that's not in the job description. But they have made their decision that, oh, yes. we like this candidate because they have HubSpot certifications. Yes. You don't. yet. Yeah, it wasn't anywhere in
1: the job description. Exactly. Exactly. And and they don't know that. They don't know that until they talk to the candidate that had. Yeah. Uh, one time I was passed over for a, uh, I was offered a different role than the role that I had applied for because uh, they wanted somebody with a project. With project management experience, and I didn't have project management experience in my resume, but I had run 800 plus person events with all the event staff and, and things. Certainly, I had the project management marketing project management experience. I just hadn't, you know, highlighted that in my resume because that wasn't in the job description. So, you know, you know, these hiring processes are run by people, and when we talk about things like fit, it is not just. I mean, I know fit takes a bad gets a bad rap. Sometimes because fit can be used to find people that look like us versus those kind of things. And it can definitely be used and perpetuate bias. But when you talk about things like today, one example would be in office culture versus a remote culture. If you run an office remotely, there are people who do not work well in a remote environment. That's not what they're, scared. they don't even want to do that. And right. then there's people
0: who have an in-office
1: environment and there are people who actually want to do that. So we create the in-office environment and we don't want the person that wants to work remote. So that, that's an element of fit. Another element would be if you have an, a very dominant group, like if you do your disk profiles and you have a very dominant group, sometimes if you have somebody that comes in that's a low D, they would be uncomfortable in those. Situations where people are just being very, very direct because they have different types of conversations. We're a decisive group, and I'm not a person that likes to make immediate decisions. I like to sit and think. Yep. So you've got to realize that hiring managers make decisions based on those factors, which isn't necessarily something that's in a resume. It comes out in the in the interview process, right. right? Yeah, and it's also you know not they should give that feedback. You know, we were looking for somebody who really is it's somebody that wants to go in strong and opinionated and decisive and and this that and the other has a real real history of taking charge and running with or whatever it is, but sometimes that's really hard to articulate like you said
0: I think uh and and you know we're getting past our thirty minute target, talk, so <laughs> did you try to uh, <laughs> you it? we love talking about this stuff I, I guess what I've done being the interviewer is if I do see something like that, I will let the candidate know. I don't know if this yes. is a good fit, or I, I want to drill down further, like to your point about working with a, a distributed team, i.e. remote all over the place, sometimes like I, I'm I'm up early in the morning talking to Europeans, sometimes I have to stay late at night to be, you know, are you able to have late night calls once or twice a month, those kind of things, and sometimes people aren't, at, at, or whatever it may be, where I, to some degree yeah. I'll say, I don't know this is going to be a good fit, you know, I don't see it, so you know, prove me wrong sort of thing. Or from the job hunter standpoint, you need to ask that probing question of you get to the end of the interview is ask, is there something about my background qualifications candidacy that would make you hesitant to hire me? Which I, I love whatever form of that question is because it forces the hiring manager or mm-hmm. the interviewer to start, yeah, or, or things to work on. And I try to come back with that as a constructive, whether you get this role or not, or going forward, you know, I can see these things. There's some of that feedback you can get uh, in the interview, right? It doesn't come across in the automation responses you get right. um, that candidates would love to get. To wrap it up, what kind of final thoughts do you have along this topic? Do we need to do a part three?
1: <laughs> well, I think we probably could do a, do a part 20. 20- yeah, two, we, we got fine. other
0: stuff that we can talk about. But what, <laughs> what, what, how would you summarize can, How do, what's the best things? candidates can do to be apples to apples to the ATS TA system?
1: Mm -hmm. It's to make sure that you match those listed qualifications, that you match the job description, that look at every, you know, every element. Don't just look at the qualifications, look at the job description, because often they'll tell you, we're looking for somebody who specifically has experience taking a startup from ground level to operational or whatever that is. And it tells you a little bit about the need behind the role. And so you need to match these kind of things to really be considered for the role. If you're not, then we need to look at alternate ways to reach out in addition to applying through an applicant tracking system. And I would say even if you are an apples to apples candidate, you might be up against others who have similar qualifications. And it would be a good idea to still apply through the system, but reach out to a hiring manager to introduce yourself and I think I've said that before and I'll probably say that 500 times till I'm blue in the face because it's still a good idea. Yeah yeah,
0: yeah it's a fantastic idea cuz you and I both have said it and we both will keep saying it because networking is definitely key mm-hmm. whether it's ahead of time or outreach. Yep.
1: And then people that, the companies that you want to work for are the ones that engage you through every step of the process. They've yeah. scrapped canned communication, they use they use person-to-person communication and it may be automated. But it is written like a person talking to a person, and you get notified every point along the system because those are the ones that have it together and are doing it well.
0: Yeah, and and I think definitely, and again, a green flag is when you are getting that those responses often, even to the point of you're not having as a job candidate follow up, send follow up. When I get when I've been in those situations, I've gotten pretty far down the process of mm-hmm. interviewing because it's one of the things that like someone likes me and they want to keep me in the interview loop and they're going to keep being proactive in keeping me informed. And so I knew I had really good shots in those kind of juicy roles when also love the organization. Like, wow, the organization's that proactive. That's the company I want to work mm-hmm. with. So, so as a job hunter out there, job hunters out there, that's the, the, green, the green flags. I'll end it here. Uh, again, Jessica, great topic, a great conversation. We could do part three, but I, I know we have other topics we want to get to. <laughs> but also, those who are listening, if you have other topics, please let Jessica and I know what we would like us to talk about. And um, I don't know if we need to tell them how to contact us because I think they all know. But if <laughs> well, we're posting know, it on LinkedIn and on Twitter, on, so I think they yeah, can find their way to us. We're both on LinkedIn and Twitter. Find us. We're not that hard to find. Otherwise, we will see you all next week. Bye, y'all.